Amen. Thank the Lord that He shelters us. Alright, let's go ahead and take your Bibles this evening. Go to the book. Psalms 37. You want to turn that on? Psalms 37. 17. I feel like when that's on, I have to yell and talk over it. and It's uh, distracting, so hopefully it's not too hot in here. For Psalms 37. In verse 17, before I read this passage of Scripture to you, I want to ask you a question right now. And I don't want you to answer it out loud. I want you to just think about it. And that is, are you wicked or are you righteous? Are you wicked or are you righteous? I know today everybody likes to think, well, you know, nobody wants to say that they're wicked. And most people, oh, I'm, I'm too humble to say that I'm righteous. And I'm probably somewhere in between. But you know, most, really in the Bible, you don't really see, they don't have all these in-betweens. Like, we, like you know, this morning we talked a little bit about you know, the right and the left and all that stuff. But in the Bible, you know, there's, there's right and there's wrong. There's wicked, there's righteous. And uh, it's a question that we ought to ask ourselves. Am I wicked or am I righteous? You know, nobody, wants to, nobody wants to be wicked. But I'll still look in the Bible, and it is a question that we ought to ask ourselves. And of course, we ought to be able to answer that we are uh, that we're righteous. That is something that we ought to definitely be shooting for and trying out for. And you know, if, if you're if you are wicked, you know, if if you're anything, the first step in getting that taken care of is you got to admit it. You've got to admit you have a problem in an area. You know, they say like for alcoholics, the first thing they need to do is admit to themselves that they're an alcoholic and then they can start working on it. And so if you're wicked today and one of the things that you know is you know possible and I, I hope you all won't do this but please don't during this message think oh I wonder what Pastor Tommy thinks about himself because the truth is I'm not going to tell you because <laughs> uh, if I say that I'm wicked well then it might make you Feel a little bit better about your situation. If you're wicked, I don't want to encourage you there by you know <laughs> by uh, saying I am too. And uh, if I did think I was righteous, you know, it might come off as bragging. This is a very personal thing that you need to look at in your own life, not figure out. Oh, I, you know, I wonder if Pastor thinks, or I wonder if somebody else is. You know, no, think about it yourself. And so I want to read a verse to you, Psalms 37, verse 17. It says, "For the arms of the wicked shall be broken." But the Lord upholdeth the righteous. I don't like the sound of that. I've never had a broken arm. I fractured a couple bones in my hand one time, and that was bad enough. But a broken arm doesn't sound good. And it's not literally meaning that God's going to, if you're wicked, God's going to come along and break your arm. It doesn't mean everybody that you see walking around with a broken arm and they're casting a sling like Cheyenne. She's got a little bit of that going on right now. It doesn't mean that she's wicked and God broke her arm because of that. All right? But at the same time, if you're wicked... I mean, there's going to be consequences. There are going to be uh, bad things that happen as a result of that. But the Lord upholdeth the righteous. If you are righteous, if you do the right thing, God is going to take care of you. There's that verse that many people like to claim in the Bible uh, where uh, David said, I have been young and I am now old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging bread. A lot of Christian people think, I'm never going to have to worry about begging bread because I'm saved. But the truth is, I've heard a lot of saved people begging for bread. God said it's the righteous 
All right, it says the righteous. And so there is a difference. And, um, and so I want us to look at some things tonight, and hopefully they'll help you to, they'll cause you to search your heart and hopefully find out where you are and then strive to be where you should be. But um, what is the definition of wickedness? You know, what, what does wicked mean? Is it is wicked, you know, like the you know, wicked witch of the West? Alright, you know, she was wicked. You know, she rode around on a broomstick and did all kinds of bad things. Is that what it's you know talking about? No, not necessarily. Uh, wickedness, the definition is departure from the rules of the divine law. So, in other words, what I mean, what is the divine law? It's the scriptures. You know, I hope, I hope y'all, nobody gets offended by this, but you know, in, in this church, we're going to, we talk a lot about the Bible. I mean, this is this is the final authority. It's not what our religion says. The truth is, uh, as far independent Baptists, we don't have a book of religious rules and requirements that our organization has put together that you have to follow. All we have really is this. And that's all we need. And any more than that, we're just, it's going to be flawed. It's going to have problems. But a departure from the divine law. When we get away from the law of God, then that's wickedness. When you go against what the Word of God says, that is wickedness. When you do what the Bible says, that's righteousness. Righteousness means conformity of heart and life to the divine law. So these, those two words are completely opposite Wicked, departure from the divine law. Righteousness, conformity of heart and life to the right law. In other words, when, when, uh, your, life, when your mind has been changed to agree with this law, you know, you're going to find out many times that when you read the Bible or when you hear the Word of God preached that you're going to hear things that you don't necessarily like and things that you don't agree with. That's going to happen quite a bit. I say all the time, the one... One verse in the Bible I wish the Lord hadn't put it in there is that one about uh, submitting to all the ordinances of man. For they are not a terror under good works. And it's like, I don't like that verse. You know, submit yourselves to higher powers. I'd rather go against the higher powers, especially in this country. <laughs> I'd, rather, I'd rather break the rules. I'd rather you know, drive as fast as I want to drive. I'd rather, you know, I don't like the seatbelt law. I wear my seatbelt all the time, but I, I think that's... A dumb law. Somebody wants to get hurt when they have a wreck. They ought to be able to get hurt. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, you know. I understand what they're trying to do, but conformity, uh, or so conformity of heart and life to the divine law. The definition of conformity is conformity means likeness or correspondence with a model and form or manner, resemblance, agreement, congruent with something else. Followed by two or with. So when we could, so what we're supposed to do in order to be righteous is where our thinking gets changed to what the Bible says. We're no longer is it this battle of us trying to argue with God and argue against the Bible or trying to uh, say that you know, like like a lot of people today, what they're doing if they don't like what the Bible says, they'll say things like, "Well, that should have been translated this way." Okay, you know we're not. God didn't call us to translate the Bible. He called us to read it and follow it. And it's, the truth is, they just a lot of times people don't like what it says, and so they say, "Oh, well, you know, there's mistakes in the Bible." Well, according to what? According to your intellect? According to your opinion? I mean, when God promised that He was going to preserve His word, He couldn't come through in that promise. That was a little too hard. It's like, no, I'm sorry. We've got we've got a word of God. It's accurate. It's right. 
I mean, this this King James Bible, you you read all you need to do is you need to read it, you need to follow it, you need to study it, and uh, and we need to conform ourselves to it. And uh, another word that I want to look at the definition is transformed. That means to be changed in form. Um, I want to read a passage of scripture to you. Second, or well, first of all, in Genesis six, I want us to look at the first time the word wickedness or wicked was used, and that is in Genesis chapter six, verse five. This is right before the flood of Noah. It says, "And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually." The world got so wicked. Man, no longer, they weren't thinking about God. They weren't thinking about the law of God. They were doing that which was right in their own eyes. And it was wicked. And then Genesis 13.13, 13, But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were a wicked, wicked people. I mean, just a vile group of people. There was a man named Lot that lived among them. Lot who was a righteous man. We see that in Second Peter chapter two verse seven, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. No, that word vexed it means teased, provoked, irritated, troubled, agitated, disquieted, or afflicted. Lot hated what he saw going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot, he was, he was righteous according to, according to the Bible. So you can't tell. When you see what happens to him, you'd think this guy was wicked too. But he never did the things that they did, but he was vexed by it. It, it bothered him greatly. And let me tell you, I hope that what is going on in this world today, one, I hope you're not involved in it, but I hope it bothers you. I hope, I, I hope it does the wickedness that's going on ought to bother us. I worry about people who say they're Christians and they are constantly wanting and desiring to get involved in that stuff. Well, that stuff ought to bother us. That with the wickedness that's going on. And it did bother a lot. But Romans twelve two says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That word transform means to be changed in form. We're not supposed to be conformed to the world. We're not supposed to be like Him. We're supposed to be transformed. We're naturally going to be like the world, especially before we're saved. But when God saves us, a change needs to take place. We ought to be conformed to His will, to His Word. We ought to be... I mean, to do that, we've got to be transformed. We've got to be changed. And so... I say all this to basically get us to this is just all kind of introduction here to get us to where we are we uh, can figure out whether we're wicked or righteous. It says that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We are bombarded with this philosophy. You know, you see it on television, you hear it in the news media. It's just a worldly philosophy that you know just everything is all gray. You know, there's all these gray areas. There is all this in between, and you know, being, uh, you know, it, we're we're just we're constantly bombarded with that stuff, and it's not true. There is right and there's wrong. There's wickedness and there's righteousness, and we need to learn to figure out which one is which, and we that way we can stay away from the wicked. And that's why we and, the, and to do that, we've got to go to the Word of God. We've got to let this 
determine how we think. You know, the, the world tells you, you know, it's it's what you feel in your heart. You're supposed to follow your heart. What a foolish statement that is, and what an inaccurate statement that is, based on the Word of God. But we're bombarded with that. And when people, you know, when people like me get up and say that you need to follow a book, that is just completely foreign to the world. But I'm here today to tell you that it works. I mean, it absolutely works, and you want to do it. But let's look at these things. What is so? What is wicked? How do we know what's wicked? Well, wickedness one are people who are wicked. Are those who openly hate the law and only live to fulfill the desires of the flesh. Ephesians chapter two, verse one through three. You know, we all were at this point at one time, whether you want to admit it or not. If you don't think you ever were at this point, then chances are you're probably not saved. But Ephesians chapter two, verse one. It says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, and you think, not me, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So we all were there at one point where we hated the law and just lived for the desires of the flesh. You think not me, I was saved at a young age. I was saved at five years old. But it was the same thing with me too. And I'll illustrate that for you. It starts with everybody. It starts with a baby with their hatred of the word no. My daughter Allie, she's two now. But even before that, she hated the word no. Remember your kids when they were real little and they're they're doing something. What do babies do? They just do whatever they feel like doing. Okay, I mean, how many have ever seen a little two-year-old exercising? Okay, why would they do that? By nature, we all just naturally do things that we feel like doing. I mean, if they want if they want to eat, they scream until they get something to eat. If they want to go and play with you know, a light socket and stick their finger, that's what they're going to do. They want to do what they want to do. And when you tell them no, what do they do? They cry. They start, they start screaming. I tell us about Tommy all the time when he was little. He always listened to us. He, he always listened, but when we would tell him no and say, hey, stop doing that, he would stop doing that, but then he would bawl his brains out. He'd just start screaming. He'd throw a fit every time. And boy, I mean, he, he was rebellious when he would when he would throw a fit. I mean, when he was not even six months old, when he would get mad, he would start screaming and he would hold his breath until he passed out. I mean, he passed out. What's that? Two months old. Two months old is that when he first started doing that? I mean, he when he was little. When he got a little older, I mean, he kept doing it, and he I'm not I'm not lying. He'd pass out once a day, sometimes twice. One time he got mad and he passed out. He held his breath for so long. He passed out, and then he, and usually after he came to, he forgot what he was mad about, and he'd be fine. But one time he remembered, and then he started screaming again, held his breath, and passed out again. The nurse, you know, we talked to the doctors about. It. They said it's fine. You know, just be careful when he, you know, just make sure he doesn't fall and hit his head or something. The people in the nursery workers they would freak out every time he did it. We tell him it's okay if he starts holding his breath. Just take him and lay him on the ground. 
He'll pass out. He'll come to. He'll be fine. He did it all the time. You know why? By nature, the children of wrath. We were telling him something that went against whatever it was he wanted to do. And little kids are like that. When they're first starting to crawl, they want to climb on the stairs. And you have to tell them no. You've got to, you've got to start teaching them not to play with certain things. And they don't like it. They don't like it. It starts with, as a with their hatred of the word no. It continues with small children when they throw a fit because they don't get their way. So you, you have to train them not to do those things. I mean... My, unfortunately, my, I have been that parent in Walmart who had the kid that was screaming because they did not get their way. We've all, you've all heard those kids. Man, those terrible kids. You know, those terrible parents. Blah, blah, blah. And, uh, it's been there before. You know, we, we dealt with it and they worked on it and they got over it. But it, it happens. It gets uglier with the teenager who feels that they should be able to make their own laws. I mean, yeah, that it's in that teenagers. Boy, they they get to this age, and you know, all of a sudden, you know, maybe the guy starts getting a little facial hair or something, and now he's a man. Now, mom and dad can't tell him what to do anymore. You know, and they start thinking, "Hey, I should be able to make my own rules. I ought to be able to stay out as long as I want to stay out. I ought to be able to date whoever I want to date. I ought to be able to wear whatever I want to wear." And they start trying to tell mom and dad what the rules should be. And let me tell you, you know, teenagers, you'll figure out how foolish that is someday when you're a parent and you have teenagers. You'll figure that out then. But it's... You say, but you know what? That is... We're by nature like that. It's our nature. And guess what? That's wicked. It's wicked. And we need to acknowledge that. And then you, and, you know, submit yourselves. And boy, if you can do that, not only is that righteous, but that's... Impressive. You don't I tell you. You don't. You're, we're seeing that less and less. But thank God, there are there are kids that are doing that. There are teenagers that are doing that. There are kids who get over their little fits and things. You can't. You don't have to be that way. Just because it's your nature. That's why the Bible says we need to be conformed. And, and so when we're conformed, that's where we say, "Okay, I'm like every other teenager. I don't think I to have to listen to my parents." But I am going to submit myself to the Word of God, and I'm going to I'm going to obey my parents. Well, it sounds so easy saying that, but you know what? That's going to be hard because it goes against our nature, and because we're we're all that way at one time. But you know what? It gets downright disgusting. It gets even worse when the young adult who feels that they're now free to make their own laws. We see that all the time. Somebody turns 18. Well, I'm 18 now. Mom and Dad, you can't legally make me do anything. Guess what? I'm leaving home. And I'm going to go and I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Which usually results in a, you know, a year or two of making a bunch of stupid decisions to where they finally have to, they get to the point where, hey, Mom and Dad, can I come back home? And then they got to live with Mom and Dad until they're 30 because they've messed their life up so bad. They've gotten themselves in so much trouble. They got to come back home. Or, you know, they got to call their dad, hey, Dad, you come bail me out of jail. Hey, Dad. You know, hey, I'm late on all my bills. You know, Dad, can I have twenty bucks? You know, and young adults, we see that because they have that attitude of I don't have to follow any rules. Guess what, teenagers? Even when you're an adult, you're going to have. In fact, you're going to have more rules. You know, the truth is, the older you get, the more rules you have to follow. 
That little baby that throws fits because they're not allowed to, you know, stick their finger in an outlet. You know, that's easy. Can you imagine if that was the only rules we had to follow? Don't stick your finger. You know, don't don't hurt yourself. Well, that'd be nice if that was the only rule we had to follow. But you know what? You get a little bit older, and all of a sudden, more now you gotta start going to school, and they've got a whole bunch of rules there. And then you get older, and maybe you get a job, and they've got a whole bunch of rules. And then you get 18 and you're done with school and you're out of the house. No more rules. Guess what? If you want a place to live, you got a bunch of rules like pay your rent, pay your electric bill, you know, pay your water bill, pay for your groceries. I mean, you've got all these rules and it just gets more and more as time goes on. And unfortunately, people aren't learning any of this stuff when they're younger. And we, that's why we've got so many irresponsible adults out there that just can't make it in life because they never learn to follow rules. And the truth is, we've got to do, if we're going to have success, we've got to do that. But it gets to the point where, and it's worst of all, when sin finally, people get to the point they're older and sin it's taking its toll on their life. And some people, out of pride and stubbornness, They'll live in denial of the fact that they've thrown away their life because they tried doing everything by their rules. And then we see that cycle repeated in the next generation. They raise their kids the same way. And their kids make all the same mistakes. And it doesn't have to be like that. Many people, after they've kind of ruined everything, they get, they get saved, they get their life right, they get it back on track, but many times they have a tough time reaching that next generation. Because they made so many mistakes. And let me tell you, if you have parents that have made some mistakes and they're trying to do right now, thank God for it. And don't make the same mistakes that they made. Learn from that. And say, hey, you know what? My parents, they did all these things that I want to do. And it, according to them, it got them in a whole lot of trouble. It didn't make them happy. It probably will get me in trouble. It probably won't make me happy. Maybe I better listen to them. And learn from that. And it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to make the same mistakes. But people who are wicked, those who openly hate the law, we were all there at one point and only lived to fulfill the desires of the flesh. But you know, it's not just that. Wickedness is also those who try to change the law into what they believe or interpret the law to fit what they believe. Boy, we see that in our court system today. I mean, it's amazing how judges can't even figure out what the Constitution means. And they just, if they don't like what the Constitution says, they try to rewrite it. That's not what judges are supposed to do, but that's what they do today. And it's pretty sad. And many people do that same thing with the Bible. If they don't like what the Bible says, they try to change they try to change it. And that is wicked. I'm t- that is so wicked. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 18, you'll see that that's exactly what the Bible says about it. I mean, this is wickedness like you wouldn't believe. Revelation 22, verse 18 through 19 says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And read Revelation, and those plagues are pretty ugly. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. 
I guess a more blunt way to put that is we're going to hell. So that's pretty that's pretty severe. And one thing that you see and said so I I don't talk about a whole lot, but that's why I believe in this King James Bible. Some of those translations that are out there, they have taken several verses out of it. We're not supposed to take things out of the Bible. And the truth is, I mean, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses, their Bible has taken out many of the verses about the blood of Christ. What makes them think that they can take something out of the Word of God? Why would anybody do that? People are adding to it. They don't like what it says, so they're adding things to it. I heard a guy one time, he was, you know, they were, he was trying to justify homosexuality. And he was, you know, he said, people are always going to the Bible. But when the Bible talked about, you know, mankind, you know, not, Fine with mankind as womankind and all that. What that was talking about was pedophilia. Oh, really? Because it doesn't say that in the Bible. You just thought you could add that to it? Listen, that is wicked to add to the Word of God. It is wicked to take away from the Word of God. Eve kind of did that in Genesis when she was talking to the serpent. She said, you know, the Lord said we shouldn't eat it, neither shall we touch it, lest we die. Well, God never said that about touching it. We're not supposed to add to the Word of God. Okay, we're not we're not supposed to do that. Uh, we're supposed to do what it says, and to try to add to it is just I mean wicked as wicked as can be. But this is how many liberal churches and false religions are birthed. Sometimes they just want to make things easier for people. Ah, uh, you know, repentance. Oh man, you know people don't want to repent of their sins. They want to continue on in their sins. You know what? Let's take that part out. And maybe they don't necessarily take it out of their Bible. There's people today that are preaching out of King James Bibles, but when when they the things that they're teaching, it's like, did you not just read that Bible that you're holding? Did you not just read the verses before it and the verses after it? Oh yeah, well I read it, but that verse it should have been translated this. It should say that. Why? Why are you adding to it? Why are you taking away from it? We're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to follow what it says. Oh, but that's hard. We want to make things easier. No, we're not supposed to make things easier. And the truth is, we can't make things easier. We can only make it more difficult. we got to follow what the Word of God says. Many times they change things because they don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. Well, we, you know, we don't want to talk about hell. How's a cuss word? We can't talk about that. We can't. Uh, Brother Jack Parchman, he was a, he's an evangelist that we love very much, and he's in heaven right now. But he always preached on hell. Boy, when he would preach on hell, I mean, even if you were saved, you got scared. I mean, he, boy, he just he preached on it all the time. And I remember he said one time he was preaching. He he had preached a message, and it wasn't even really on hell. But he said he he preached on hell all the time, even if he wasn't preaching on hell. And he said he had a kid come up to him after church. He's like, "You cussed." Five times in your message, and he's like, "What?" He's like, "Son, I didn't, I didn't cuss during my message." He's like, "Yes, you did. You cussed five times." He's like, "Well, what did I say?" And he's like, "You said hell five times in your message," and he's just like, "And I got convicted." He's like, "I only mentioned hell five times in my message." As like, I had, to, I had to go to God and get right. I should have mentioned it a whole lot more than that. I mean, he preached, he preached about it. All the time, but many churches are saying, "No, let's not do that." No, hell—it's—it's it's not hell. It's not a place of fire. It's not a place of everlasting judgment. Hell, hell's just the grave. You know that. Let's let's call it 
Let's call it Sheol. Let's call it you know uh, some of the you know the Greek words that it was translated from because those don't sound as bad. So you know if you if you don't trust Christ, you're going to end up in Sheol. It's just Oh, it doesn't have the same ring to it. <laughs> it, it, does, it doesn't sound. It doesn't sound the same. Uh, you know, you're going to Hades or something, or Tophet or one of the, one of those words. Oh, let's just call it what it is. People they want to change because they want people to feel uncomfortable, and they get pressured to make sure you know, that they even include everybody. It's like we want. Listen, I want everybody to be in heaven. I do, but I don't want to tell people they're going to heaven if they're not. Listen, I, I, to, I think I told the story here one time about a lady who stopped by at LaSalle who was on her way to Bloomington and she, uh, and she had actually drove way past Bloomington. I mean, she, you know, we were, she was an hour away from there. And she had completely gone the wrong way. And when I told her where she was and how far away she was, I mean, it was late, it, it was getting late and she, she was an older lady. I mean, she was just devastated. And I hated it. I was like, I'm sorry, but you're an hour away. You went an hour past it. And it was very difficult for her to hear. She was thinking she was only a few miles away. You know what? I could have made her feel better and said, you know what? Yeah. Just she was heading north, which was the opposite direction. I said, yeah, you know what? You're, you're doing right. You're okay. You just, just keep going. It's just a few more miles. Just keep going. You'll get there. That would have been cruel to do that. I had somebody do that to me one time. We were trying to go somewhere and we're going the wrong way and we didn't want to stop for directions. I remember we rolled down the window and we taught, we're at a stoplight and the guy at his window down. We're like, hey, do you know how to get to wherever, wherever it was we were going? He's like, yeah, just keep going this way. And he kind of had a funny look on his face. And I got a little suspicious. We kept going that way. Turned out it wasn't the right way. We finally stopped in that direction. We were going the opposite way and he knew it. He knew it. He was being cruel. But you know what? He told me what I wanted to hear. And that's what's happening in churches today. People are Preachers are telling people what they want to hear. And I'm here today to tell you that just like you would say you're a cruel person to tell that old lady to keep going north when she needed to go south, it is cruel and it is wicked to try to change the Bible just so people will feel more comfortable. Do not... Do that if if you try making make everybody feel good and more comfortable, then it's going to be necessary for you to change the Bible because much of what this Bible says is not comforting. <laughs> Some of it's scary. I mean, you live a wicked life. It's not going to end good. But the bottom line is that this is contrary to the Word of God, making it wickedness, going against the Word of God. Then the third thing, also those who try to obey the law but just can't get victory over the flesh. Some of these people aren't saved and they're trying to establish their own righteousness. Listen, there's people all over today in churches that are trying to follow the Word of God. They're trying to do right. They just can't seem to get victory. They just can't seem to do it. You know why? It's because they're still wicked. Many of them, they're, just, they're still not saved. They're trying to get to heaven on their own righteousness. To try to get to heaven on your own righteousness is just flat out wicked. You say, what? I mean, isn't it good that they're trying so hard? For you to try to get to heaven on your own good works and on your own righteousness is to say that what Jesus did wasn't necessary. And that's wicked. What He did was absolutely necessary. It's exactly what needed to be done so we could have a chance and have hope 
of going to heaven and to think that that we're good enough or to think that we can be good enough is for you to not understand just how wicked you really are. And that's a very sad thing, but that's the way it is for many people today. But some of these people, some of them though, are saved, but they've just not been converted yet. There are some people, you know, they get saved and they're really saved, but you know that change thing? It's not always easy. Boy, they start learning all these things. My dad, he always talks about, you know, when he was a teenager, he started going to a Christian school and where they, they, in that church, they preached on everything. He said his principal started preaching against rock music. He's like, oh, man. And he had to give up his rock music. And he's like, and it was hard. He's like, so I started listening to country music. And he's like, and then he started preaching against country music. And this was back in the 70s, too, when it wasn't anything like it is today. And it was hard for him. It was hard to give that stuff up. It's hard giving up sin. But you know what? A person who's really saved, they can do it. And they can get victory over it. But there are some that just can't seem to get victory. The problem is, they're still wicked. But when we get saved, we're supposed to grow in Christ. And we grow by learning His Word. By fellowshipping with Him. Listen, when you start fellowshipping with Christ, those other things are going to have to go. If you're going to have the right kind of relationship. Thou shalt have no other God before Me. My wife and I, when we uh, when we started seeing each other and we started uh, get, getting to know each other, and uh, when we got engaged, one thing that would have killed our relationship is if I would have still been having relationships with other girls. I wouldn't have worked out real well. When I got married to her, not only was I saying you know yes to her, I was saying no to everybody else. And let me tell you, they were, they were lining up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I never had anybody else. <laughs> But that's the way it is. And it's the same thing when we accept Christ. We are accepting Him. We're rejecting everything else. And to try to keep all that sin in your life, it's not going to work. We need to fellowship with Him. You need to experience the hand of God. It's important that we see God do things. Listen, I believe God's going to do things here. And you will be doing yourself and your family a great service to stick around and be a part of it. Because not only is it going to help increase your faith, and get you in on the blessings that come from it, but it's going to give your also the next generation, your children, a chance to see God do something and to see His, uh, I mean, to see His hand work, and God will be more real to them. There's a lot of saved people. They've the God's. They've seen God do great things, but their children never really get to see anything happen. Well, you need to make sure. I want my kids to see God do great things. I've seen Him do great things. But I want them to get to see it too. Very important. But many people, they just can't seem to get victory over that flesh. The problem is, they're still wicked. You need to pray, Lord, help me be righteous. Lord, help me have victory. So then righteous. Who is righteous? A righteous person is one whose heart and mind have been transformed to agreement with the law of God. In other words, you need to get you need to work on getting yourself to a point where things are no longer a debate. You believe the Bible. This is this is what I believe. I remember when I uh, when I was getting ordained when I was ordained. One of the things they do in the ordination for pastors is that a bunch of the preachers they'll get together and they'll kind of grill you and they'll ask you a bunch of questions. And a friend of mine was telling me about an ordination that uh, of a person that he knew. And you know he hadn't been saved a real long time, and you know didn't know a ton about it. He got saved; he was on fire for God, and was wanting to go in the ministry. And he was being ordained, and he got asked some pretty hard questions. 
a lot of the doctrinal questions. And whenever he wouldn't really know the answer to it, he would just say, what does the Bible say about that? And they would tell him what the Bible says. He's like, that's what I believe. And you know what? That's what our attitude ought to be. Hey, what does the Bible say about that? I remember one of the pastors just uh, throw me. He went and asked me. I, I could not repeat this question to save my life. But he asked me this real complicated question with all these big words and things in it. And I'm just like, I have no idea what he's talking about. And I remembered that story and I was just like, I just asked him, I said, what does the Bible say about that? <laughs> and he was like, oh, I'll tell you the truth, I don't even really know. <laughs> and, but I was just like, whatever the Bible says about it, that's what I believe. And that ought to be our attitude. Where we're not debating, listen, I, I like debating things just for fun, but at the same time, we ought to say, no, I'm not going to try to, usually a debate means you're trying to change somebody's mind too. You're trying to prove that other person wrong. Don't try to prove the Bible wrong. It's not going to work. You know, it's, it, the Bible is right, and we need to, that. That ought to be our thinking, where we not not just not in our mind, but in our hearts, where we believe the Word of God, even when things might seem like, "Well, I don't get that. I don't understand it." But by faith, I'm going to accept it. By faith, I'm going to believe God's Word. You know, your flesh is still going to get in the way sometimes. You're still going to mess up, but you know what? If you're righteous, you're going to get up and you're going to try again. And you're going to gain victory. A person who's righteous said they're not. Doesn't mean that they're perfect. The Bible says in Proverbs 24:16, for a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. If you're righteous, it said you'll still make mistakes, you're still going to fall flat on your face sometimes, but you're going to get back up. You're going to get up. You're going to try again. And you're going to fall again. But then you're going to get up and you're going to try again. And you're going to keep doing it, but eventually, you're going to get victory. Eventually, you're finally going to conquer that thing. And eventually, you're going to stand up and you're going to be telling people, you know, I used to struggle in this sin. And boy, I kept falling flat on my face, but the Lord finally gave me victory. I don't struggle with that anymore. Or maybe I, maybe I do struggle, but I haven't fallen back into it. I've been. I've gone several years, and I've not. Done, I've not made that mistake again. You can do that. A righteous man can do that. And when you do mess up, we talked about this last week. If you're, if you are righteous, you're going to feel the chastening hand of the Lord. He's going to be all over you, just like a parent. They get on them. They get on them kids. They say, "No, don't you love it when those when the kids are little, and you have one of those kids where you can just say, no, and they just they melt right there. They're done." Every once in a while you get one of them stubborn ones, Chloe, where uh, you tell them no, and they just look at you. They just they, they get a look in their face. Allie's even done it before. She's she's been pretty easy, but they just they just get this look in their face like, I'm not gonna do it. And they just get get stubborn. And you know, and then it's gotta get ugly sometimes. <laughs> and parent, you've been, I'm sure you've been there before. And you know what? That's a good parent's going to deal with that. And God's going to deal with His children. He's going to correct us because He loves us. And that just like as a father, as a son in whom He delighted. But God's plan for your life, it's going to be clear. Every day, you ought to be doing your best to be like Christ. Romans 8.29 says, For whom He did foreknow, He, did also, uh, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. It's God's will for you to be like Christ. 
I you know I get aggravated, and, and I, I shouldn't get aggravated because when I was a, when I was a teenager, when I was a young adult, I was the same way. But you always tell me, oh, I'm just trying to figure out what God's will is for my life. I'm just sitting around waiting for God to show me something. Listen, God's will is not supposed to be complicated for your life. Now listen, if you're trying to figure out what God's will is for your life 20 years from now, yeah, that's going to get a little complicated. You're probably not going to figure that out. If you're trying to figure out even five years, it's going to get pretty complicated. You're probably not going to figure it out. Even for the next year. You know what? If you want to figure out God's will, if you want to be clear, and I thank God that I finally learned this, all you need to do is make sure you're doing God's will today. Do God's will today and just do it day by day. And the other things will fall into place in no time. You know, you know, teenagers, don't be don't be obsessing right now. But you know, Lord, please show me who you want me to marry. Let me tell you, if you're in the will of God, He'll bring them along. He will. How? I have no idea. But you that you the only place you're going to find God's perfect will for your life is in the will of God. So be in God's will today. If you're in God's will today, He'll show you. I understand there's some big decisions. You know, you know hey, where am I going to go to college? What, you know, what am I going to study? You know, what's going to be my line of work? Those are big decisions. I understand scratching your head about those things and, and maybe worrying about those things sometimes. But I'm, I'm here to tell you that if you're doing God's will today, when the time comes for you to make that decision, it will be clear to you. It will. And part of doing God's will is just following His Word in those areas. If you don't know, alright, go to the Bible. What does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says in a multitude of counselors there's safety. You know what? I'm going to seek counsel. I'm going to talk, I'm going to, talk to my parents about this one. I'm going to talk to many other godly people that I know. I'm going to go get, I'm going to go get some advice. I'm going to see. I'm, I'm going to pray about this for a while. I'm going to do some fasting. Just start doing. The thing. You know, this is this is God's will right here. He tells us we all you have to do is do the things that you know you're supposed to do, and then God's going to show you the next thing. And uh, so, hopefully, that helps you understand. I guess the, what wickedness is and what righteousness is. Wickedness is departure from the divine law. Righteousness is the conformity of heart and mind to the Word of God. None of us in here have the entire Bible memorized. I don't know. I've read through the Bible several times, but I still don't know every single thing that's in the Bible. But what it's my desire to do, though, is in my life, in my decisions, in my lifestyle, and what I do, that it is according to the Scriptures. As a church... The things that we do, you know, we're getting ready to have our our charter service. We're going to be, we're going to have our own church constitution. Everything that I've I've been working on, and one of the things that I try to make sure is that everything that we do that it lines up with the Bible. I'm trying to find out what the Bible says about it because I want our church to be conformed to this Bible. Because if we're conformed to this, then guess what? We're a righteous church. But if we're going against the Word of God, then we're a wicked church. I don't want that. Hopefully, you wouldn't want to be a part of that. But as an individual, just that that ought to be all right. You know, I, I I always would challenge the teenagers. You know what? Whenever you make a decision, whatever you do, get a verse for it. You know, try to find a verse to help you with that decision. Claim that 
Claim that verse for your life. It's good. I think it's good for you to have a life verse. So this is this is my life verse. This is my favorite verse in the Bible. If you're going to go get another job, maybe there's a job opening and you're thinking about a job. You know what? Try to find a verse that goes along with that. Just try to find one. Thank God there's not you know trying to decide between. Hey, you'd be surprised. You might you might find something. The Lord might speak to you somewhere. You might be you know you might be thinking about a farming job, and you might be thinking, or maybe you're thinking about a building job. Go to the Bible. He might show you something about farming in there that speaks to your heart. Just claim that one. It's okay. So I'm not saying, uh, you know, it, it just it helps to have a verse, something that you can claim. This is how God speaks to us through His Word. He's not going to tell you in an audible voice, do this, do that. We go to His Word. This is how we think. And if we do that as a church, because here's, here's the thing, we all are different, we all have different personalities, we all have different opinions, and if we go by those things, all we're going to do is fight and we're going to have contention all the time. But when if we're all conformed in our hearts and minds to the Word of God, we're going to be in agreement. We're going to have unity. We're going to be in one accord. And I remember reading about a church that was all in one accord in the book of Acts. And they saw a great revival take place. And if we all if we all do that, we don't have to know everything about the Bible. But if we're all in agreement in that, that hey, this church is going to be based on the Word of God. This book is the final authority. And we're going to obey it to the best of our abilities. God's not going to be able to help but bless that. And I believe He's going to. So let's stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed.